here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is your captain, Sean, speaking. I feel funny every time I say that because that means Dylan is, of course, the assistant or the vice captain, whichever you prefer. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm good, Sean. Does this mean you met the Pope this week? <laughs> no, I wish. Uh, but we'll save that for our trip to Rome next year. As you know, this is the drop zone, but today will be a different version of the drop zone. We are not going to talk about the news and whatever happened on the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour this week or the Live Golf Tour. We are going to talk about a trip we took in August, a trip to the UK. Uh, as you probably know, I was over there living in Scotland all summer, but at some point Dylan finally got up the courage to join me again, met me in Northern Ireland. We played Royal Portrush. The next day we played Royal Liverpool. And the day after that, we played Royal Troon. That's three open hosts, three days, three different countries in like 54 hour span. So we're going to tell you all about that today. I'm getting tired just thinking about it again. I feel like it was pretty solid for me to make it to the UK two times in one two month span, to be honest, from Seattle, Washington. So I, I thought I actually did pretty well. Um, but yes, this was a trip we will probably never be able to replicate. Three open sites, the three next, the next three open sites in three days. Although at the same time, the fact that we were able to do it is a reminder that the open championship is different for you as a bucket list golfer, because these courses are actually accessible. They are yep. uh, they are available to you. This trip, some version of this trip, is available to you. Plan it early. That's that's a piece of advice number one because the tee times at these courses are not limitless. Um, but anyway, absolutely unbelievable trip, and we will tell you all about that. But Sean has a deal to tell you about first. Yeah, I was just clicking around on RadmoreGolf.com, Dylan. Radmore, a sponsor of the Drop Zone. And I noticed that they've got uh, rad packs. They basically, that's what they've called them. It's three polos of assorted style and colors that you can buy for $125. Obviously, with the Drop Zone discount code, D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, you'll get $25 off of that because you get 25% off of all purchases with that discount code. So basically, Radmore is trying to give you three polos for $100. And I just think that that's probably one of the best deals in golf. That's incredible. I feel like each one of these polos is worth over $100. So, Sean, that's a steal. That's a drop zone steal right there. Um, all right, you want to take us to Northern Ireland? I want to take us to Northern Ireland, Dylan. I had no jet lag to deal with. I was flying from the exact same time zone and I arrived in Belfast, which is one of the, basically the two ways you get to Royal Portrush. We decided to go to Royal Portrush. Why? Because that's where your open championship career began. That was the first open you ever went to. It was, uh, it was an open I did not get to go to. And I had a ton of FOMO sitting at home watching everything happen. And we set out to go to Portrush in completely different ways. You were flying from, I believe, San Francisco and racing to get over, dealing with uh, a delayed flight. You flew direct into Dublin mm -hmm. and I flew into Belfast. Now, Dublin to Portrush is what kind of commute? Well, let's first talk about the west coast of the United States to Dublin, which is a significant <laughs> flight. Um, we had a couple hour delay in San Francisco where I was visiting some family, but once we eventually did get there, uh, once we eventually did get on the move, honestly, once you're on a plane, you're kind of on a plane. I don't know. I know some people absolutely hate flying or terrified of flying, can only do it with, you know, six cocktails in them, et cetera. But um, I find it kind of a relaxing experience to be in the sky. Didn't really mind it, especially uh, not having to connect on the way over was pretty unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So arrived in Dublin, but we were then late. So the bus that I had planned to take was already gone. Um, Dublin is in Ireland. Portrush is in Northern Ireland, specifically the Northern tip of Northern Ireland. So all the way up on the, the Northern coast, 
And the way I got there was by taking a bus from Dublin to Belfast and I had to pivot and take a new bus, but there are, uh, there's, there's quite a few buses that are doing that route. Um, and then once you get to Belfast, which, uh, is, is Belfast the biggest city in Northern Ireland? Must be right. Yes. Once you get to Belfast, which is the biggest city in Northern Ireland, then you can take a train up to Portrush, which is what I did where I was greeted by Sean and our videographer, Tiffany. So if you're going to go to Northern Port, to Northern Portrush, Northern Ireland, visit Portrush. Yes, you can go by way that Dylan did and you can fly into Dublin. I think you should really just go into Belfast. Mm, yeah. You're going to be if taking you can this do, trip. If you can fly into Belfast, by all means. It's not a... Yeah. I think the way I looked at it was, you know, that I think the time from the West Coast, it was actually cheaper and ultimately faster-ish to fly into Dublin. But yeah, if you can get to Belfast, you're just so much closer to your destination. You're in the correct country for one thing. Um, but I will say that whether it's from Belfast to Portrush or all the way from Dublin to Portrush, once you get into that Northern Irish countryside, like I really enjoyed my train ride from Belfast up to Portrush, mm. um, Northern Ireland, it's easy to lump these places in with, you know, American culture to some extent and to forget that you're actually leaving the country or you're joining a different place um because yeah look latitudinally you're a little bit further north but yeah everyone speaks english you're going to be able to understand folks etc it's it's different this is a place unaffected by time and american culture in the same way that we're used to in the states um the pace of life is slower um it's very rural it feels older and Mm -hmm. It feels good. I mean, it's, I, I just felt my blood pressure dropping just on that train ride up there. And I think that is an element of these Lynx golf trips that people enjoy. But I think there's something special about um, the Northern Irish countryside in particular uh, that, that gets well, people going. Yeah, I certainly saw a lot of it. When you fly into Belfast, the hallway that takes you from the international uh, arrivals hall to baggage claim has a bunch of that ruralness on the walls, but part of it is Game of Thrones. Like, if you are a Game of Thrones fan, I would I would say you need to go. And if you if you both play golf and are a Thrones fan, and you're taking a trip, you cannot not include. Northern Ireland. You have to make it a part of your trip. I am not a Game of Thrones fan. I know you are. <laughs> I know our videographer Tiffany yeah. is. Um, I'm not, but I am well-versed enough in pop culture. <laughs> the fact that they're making it, you respect that. Yeah, respect that they uh, that it exists. And I went and visited the Dark Hedges, which is apparently a big deal in the show. Um, it was kind of cool to be able to see this thing that has been all over the internet um plus tiffany was so many people out, excited so you could kind of get that secondhand <laughs> excitement i feel like i miss the dark hedges yeah yeah she had she certainly had uh goosebumps like just walking down that street and it was kind of fun to to look it up on youtube afterwards um the giant's causeway various other scenes there are actual signs up littered throughout northern ireland with like scenes from the show that says hey this particular episode was shot here right on this beach right on these rocks so if you are a throny and a zony uh and a a a golf fan um i think that this is a golf trip that you certainly want to take and there's a lot of stuff that i didn't even we didn't even get to on the west side of the country so uh our reasons for going to port rush I think revolves around me more than you. Like, I think you'd already been there. You of course wanted to go back and you wanted to play that golf course. But for me, I experienced that open through my television screen, through my cell phone screen, through articles that people have wrote and videos that people made. And I didn't get to step foot in that country. I didn't get to feel it, taste it, see it. And I just wanted to like have these, 
these visuals that I had seen on my screen suddenly be right in front of my face. I think that that is one of the the, the coolest parts of, about the world of golf is that you can experience these places that you kind of only know through your television screen and suddenly you can be hitting the shots playing the golf courses so i wanted to see what rory's tee shot on one mm, looks like yeah you know maybe maybe the most regrettable opening tee shot of his career i wanted to see what the harbor bar looks like you know this place that shane lowry uh visits when and he goes to town there or when darren clark you know he has his own little corner of that bar devoted to him called Darren's Corner. I wanted to see all these things that you got to experience and all the other golf writers in the world got to experience. And uh, I think we kind of did all that. I think we accomplished Yeah, that. so should we just run through chrono- chronologically kind of how we experienced Portrush? I mean, you guys did some sightseeing um, that Monday, Monday afternoon, I guess, that you arrived. I didn't get there till more like the evening. So when you scooped me, we went straight to the Harbor Bar, which... Yep. The cool thing about Portrush, the town, is it sits out on a little spit that just sticks out into the ocean. So, I mean, you already picture you're on the northern tip of an island in the northern part of the Atlantic Ocean, and now you're sitting out on a little peninsula in that. So, it's that kind of speaks to the place. It's exposed. It's raw. These are a these are a rugged, hardy people. Um, mm-hmm. And the center of town is right in the middle of that. So. The Harbor Bar, which is the heartbeat of the town, is this sweet little bar tucked up against the water, and uh, everything kind of there's funnels not a lot of, there. There's not a lot of room in there's it. There's not a lot of room. There is an upstairs that people will eat in, but downstairs in the bar, like you're basically on top of the bartender, yeah. and the hallway to enter the bar is right behind you. We poked our heads into the back to see, oh, is there any more space? No, there was not. There was not <laughs> more space. No more For space. the open, I never uh, made it inside because- they just took over the parking lot essentially. And people were just milling about out there. Um, so this time we got to go in, have a proper Guinness, uh, wearing already layers of our foot joy gear. Those were our good pals that allowed us to be over there. Um, yeah. And really just got settled in and and got ready to kick some of the jet lag. (laughs) Uh, the Airbnb we got was pretty much right on the sea. And that was, I guess, when I when we drive into town, I think the cool part about getting to these tiny little golf towns is that the golf course plays such it's so weighty. It's it it, it it's important to the town. Like Royal Portrush, you have to drive by it in order to get into Portrush proper. You have to drive by these signs that say the open 2019 and the next open, which for them will be 2025. Yep. I think. Yeah. 2025. Um, so we were there smack dab in the middle, halfway between yeah. the last one and the next one. And the remnants of, of that week, 2019 where Shane Lowry won, like are still kind of echoing <laughs> through the town um, pictures up on the walls in the bars. And, I don't know. It, it just reminds me that, okay, you know, when the golf world comes here, the golf world's going to come here once a decade, probably at the most moving forward, it's going to be a big deal every single time. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's a good reminder that these little towns really matter within the, the broader scope of the game. Yeah. And I, it, for me going to an actual event and I always loved growing up, I loved running downstairs, flipping on the TV, seeing tiger taking on the, linksy course six in the morning or whatever but you understand the the stakes and the location uh that much better having visited and yeah you know there's something cool about sporting events with a sense of place and i think it's hard to find any sporting event with a better sense of place than these opens because they truly transform these little towns um, for Portrush, that 2019 event was so significant because there hadn't been an open in on the island of Ireland years. in 60 years. And mm-hmm. God, here we were descending on Portrush, the, probably the most people that had ever been in the town of Portrush. And there were, you know, a few Northern Irishmen, but as the, uh, as the head of golf at Portrush told us in Ireland, 
the sport is considered sort of universal. There's not there's not so much of a divide. They tried to eliminate the divide between Ireland and Northern Ireland. So there was still an immense amount of pressure on Rory uh, returning to this course where he held the course record, um, returning to right near where he grew up. So being there in person, you just get a better sense of how insane it is, A, that this little country is producing world-class major championship winning golfers. Um, and then the pressure you must feel and the intense feelings that these guys must have coming home to play and what must really be the most important event of their lives. So that went into Rory's tee shot, all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because Darren Clark, as we said, has his own spot in the Harbor bar. He's a major champion. Graham McDowell grew up playing the course next door. He's a major champion. But when I walk around Royal Portrush, talk to people, talk to people in town, I was interviewing these two kids, these junior kids who were practicing their putting and chipping. And I was just talking to them and they're like, oh yeah, I'm putting well right now. I'm putting like Rory McIlroy. And it was like, okay, so Rory owns the golf conversation in this area, especially now that Graham McDowell's like moved on over to live. Rory is king there. And so I cannot imagine what he was feeling on that first tee, but I could imagine what he was looking at, which is, I think, for a mid to high handicapper, right? I'm I'm a mid handicapper. That's as intimidating as a tee shot can get off the first because you're playing a major championship course, one of the greatest golfers of all time, completely f***ed up his chances on that <laughs> hole, and you're looking out and you see OB right and you see OB left. And you're going up a hill and there's like long fescue on either side. And you just think there's no way I can hit driver. Let's throttle down. Rory throttled down to a two iron. Let's just use that driving iron. And holy hell, I hooked it OB as well. Um, It was harrowing to have the same exact fate as him when I could think about it for the weeks running up to it. And uh, I don't know how disappointing it. Was it to you that I actually recreated? Disappointing. What Rory did? No, I was delighted. I mean, not only did you hit it OB left, you hit it on the exact same line with the exact <laughs> same trajectory as Rory. And then you teed up another one and did the exact same thing as Rory did on his second one, which was almost <laughs> hit it OB left, but not quite. It just stayed in, yeah. settled in the rough, and, uh, you did not have to take an unplayable lie, which was great. So you snuck out of there with seven instead of Rory's eight. Yeah. So you started off one up over the ghost of Rory McIlroy. Um, what did you learn about that two iron? Oh, that that was one of the fun parts of going there uh, first is I had an extra day to kind of be on the grounds and talk to people. And I met a former club champion at Port Rush. His name is Jerry McAleese. McAleese? struggling with the pronunciation there, but Jerry was our Sherpa at Royal Port Rush. And he told us that that two iron, that fateful two iron that Rory McIlroy hit um, and ruined his chances at his home open didn't stay in his bag very long. He very quickly got rid of that club, gave it to his caddy, Harry Diamond. Uh, I think this is a very pro Harry Diamond podcast and Harry didn't want it either. <laughs> he gave it to his father-in-law. And now, according to Jerry McAleese, Harry Diamond's father-in-law uses Rory McElroy's <laughs> two iron. That is in his bag. He hangs out on the driving range at Port Rush and says, hey, do you want to try this, this special tailor-made two iron? Uh, it's got quite a bit of history to it. And it's not the good kind of history. And I just thought that that was, that was a nice little treat that you get when... Uh, Irish people, they like to talk and tell you stories. That was one of the stories we were given. Fascinating. I was trying to think of other equivalents across sports. Like, it'd be like if, I don't know, like if when Kyrgios just like throws a racket into the stands or something, <laughs> are there guys that are then going and playing with that racket? Probably. Like, how about the, the shoes that Zion blew out in that oh. UNC Duke game? You know, like failed wow. equipment that like still holds a place in history. Um, nothing really comes close to that though for Rory. How do we describe Portrush the golf course? 
hard hard for sure windy when we were there difficult um extremely difficult i found it funny to talk to the head pro beforehand and we kind of asked him like how will we fare he's like well it's not that hard of a course yeah uh and if you get uh in play off the tee mostly if you stay in the fairway off the tee you can do fine uh that's a big and, if yeah big if yeah. as it turned out <laughs> he is right um we struggled to find the fairway off the tee it's a course that you're going to find in windy conditions on most days. Um, the day we found it was abnormally windy. Even Jerry walking around with us told us that, which made me feel a little bit better about the horrible scores that we put together. Um, but it's a, I think the routing is, is a bit chaotic uh, in a good way. You know, a lot of links courses will send you out and they'll send you straight back. Nine holes out, mm, yeah. nine holes back. Um, maybe eight holes out, a couple at the turn, and then one back. But Portrush has these kind of slight turns. It's really the shape of a boat of a football. If you look down, it's kind of got this like there's a point at the first tee and there's a point at like the fifth tee, and like everything in between those points takes on this kind of ovally shape, in which these holes go in different directions. Um, every single hole uh, fo- that it follows a different direction from the, the hole that preceded it. So. What does that mean for the golfer? All it means is that in a windy day, you're just not getting used to the wind. You're not going into it, uh, into the same exact direction, five holes in a row. It's off the right and then it's into your face and then it's off the left and then suddenly it's at your back. And that has to be worth like two strokes compared to an out and back course where you're just like, oh, we're playing in a three club wind. I'm just going to club up three different, um, three levels every single shot I take. And that's what Mirfield is like. The women were talking about that this year during the women's open. It keeps you on edge and it keeps you uncomfortable. And so it's a very different golf course without those conditions, but I don't think you find it that way frequently. The biggest thing for me is the elevation change throughout the course. A lot of these links courses, yeah. I mean, like what we saw the the next day at Hoy Lake, and we'll get to that. Um, they are pretty flat. They're a pretty smooth transition from the sea up to mm-hmm. uh, up to the land, up to the golf course. And in this case, we're talking about some epic cliffs. We're talking about a golf course that then sits still on a hill. So the elevation changes are a lot more dramatic. Um, the dunes are bigger. The landscape is just generally, yeah, I mean, it's more dramatic. There's going to be... Uh, yeah, shots that you hit more uphill, more downhill. As a result, mm-hmm. they can do more things that make certain holes stick out. Um, every hole become it's 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 a lot more a collection of eighteen memorable holes than it is just sort of an experience. Um, you know, you got singles instead of just an album, I guess. If you want to think of it <laughs> that way, like Portrush has a bunch of hits. Uh, did you have a favorite hole that stuck out? Well, the one hole I birdied was. 17th i think mm, yeah um whatever hole is that downhill drivable par four that uh i was not playing good golf and i was able to hit it over the edge on the perfect line uh trundle down the hill and make a really long two putt for birdie um i really liked that hole i think any hole like that really sticks out to me yeah it seems gettable but it's also tricky at the same I time i think you'll remember ken brown you know, kicking a beach ball or a soccer ball down that slope on the 17th. Uh, Sean did that too, but with his tee shot, had a long, long eagle putt, hit it about halfway to the hole. And then just as we were all looking at him disappointed, then he made it rain from there. Um, This is kind of a, this is an Instagram-y choice, but number five, White Rocks. Yeah stood out to me. It's on the northern tip of the golf course. It's a short par four that was playing very long and very into the wind for us, uh, but was playing drivable for the pros during the open. It's just gorgeous. You look out yeah. down the beach, um, out at the cliffs, up at the Dunluce Castle, um, mm-hmm. and the course is called, the, it's the Dunluce Links at Royal Port Rush, and you're looking up at all this history, um, all this scenery, and on a very clever dog leg right that was playing pretty challenging for us. So that was my fave. 
I think of all the photos that I took all summer long, that's 90 days in the UK, I probably took maybe one of my favorite photos from the back of that green, looking out with a little bit of green on the photo, looking out at the beach with the sea on the far left side of the screen, the castle out in the distance. It was the kind of photo that I'll probably blow up at some point. Um, my last note for Port Rush before we move on to Liverpool and England is that Northern Ireland uh, is not going to be the first trip that a lot of Americans take mm-hmm. to the UK yeah. for golf. A lot of people are going to go to Fife. A lot of people are going to go up to Dornick. They might make a trip around England um, where we will literally go next. Um, and they might start in Ireland before they go to Northern Ireland. And I just think what we proved in our trip is that it is not hard to include Northern Ireland on that trip as well. And I think you should do it because not only is Northern Port Rush or is Royal Port Rush there, um, but there's another elite top 15 golf course in the world up there that you can play Port Stewart as well. Yes. And not even Port Stewart, but another one. Oh, well, Royal County down is incredible, but that's not, yeah. that's a little, it's a little trek from there, but yeah, from Belfast, yeah. you can get to some epic, epic golf. That's all I really wanted to include oh, because yeah. I think from Belfast, what we did the next day was get on what a 20 pound flight, <laughs> 40 pound flight, like very quick. Flight. It was like a commuter two, flight. Two it felt like, people, yeah. you know, other people on this flight didn't even have backpacks. They were like, it was just like <laughs> dudes with laptop cases. They looked like they were just going in and out. I mean, we were the outliers. Yeah, they're flying from... And, golf bags they're flying from essentially from detroit to chicago something like that very quick easy flight and if you were taking a trip through the midwest to play golf and you started up at hazeltine and then you went through wisconsin and you ended up in chicago why would you not include a trip to detroit as well if you could do it that's kind of my whole theory behind a Lynxland trip is like include northern ireland there's some really good golf up there too and it's not hard to get to northern ireland It's just like Detroit. That'll be their next (laughs) tagline. All right, Sean, England time? Yes. How did we get there? Well, we sort of just told you, but once we got, uh, once we flew out of Belfast, once we woke up at four in the morning or 345 um, in Portrush, drove down to, uh, to Belfast and flew over to Liverpool, then you- No, we flew into a different city. Where'd we f- oh, we, we flew, flew into, into Manchester. Manchester. <laughs> ah, not one of the learnings that I had from my summer over there is that Manchester is very, very close to Liverpool. Yep. So Everton, Liverpool, Man City, and Man U, very close All to each very other. Close um, not Manchester, New Hampshire, or the New Englanders. Different. This is this is old England. Um, <laughs> there's Sean. Did you know? Fun fact: There is a Manchester in every state in New England. Yeah, you told me that recently. Probably when we were in Manchester. Yeah, so probably. That's New England. Anyways, this is old England. Uh, uh, book your this flight. This is maybe the, the way to one. do it. Yeah, the way to do it though is like have Liverpool. If you're going to fly into it, maybe be the start or the end of your trip, <laughs> because if you need to fly in and out of a major area, you've got two major airports to choose from. Yeah, we flew into Manchester, a little bit further from Hoylake, from Royal Liverpool, about an hour's drive or so. Um, this is a place you could train from London. Like there are various yeah. ways you could get to Royal Liverpool, aka Hoylake. Which, what we settle on, they just can be used interchangeably, right? The names, yeah. The names, the, the name, yeah. The the area that surrounds Royal Liverpool, the golf course, is Hoylake. The it is a very very tiny town. There are five thousand people that live. In that town, um, if you actually just look at the square footage, the area of Hoylake, about 30% of it is the golf club, <laughs> Royal Liverpool. So it is, um, again, like if we thought Portrush was a small town, Hoylake is even smaller. Um, and it is another reason why people want, or the, the RNA has to continue taking the open to these tiny little places. It means a ton to the club and to the golf course in the surrounding area. This golf course I felt was linksy opposite of Portrush. Does that feel fair? Yeah. I mean, what I was just saying about 
uh, royal porch being kind of steep, being vertical. This was the opposite. This is flat. This is a racetrack, which we'll get into. Well, I guess I'll get into right now. I mean, this literally used to be uh, part of the course used to be a actual working racetrack where horses would run around pulling carts, uh, pulling various different things. There were other sporting events that happened on these bike races, bike races. I mean, this is a, and not like tour de France style. These are flat events. So this place was flat, flat, flat. Um, Mm -hmm. was still with lots of cool, subtle, you know, rumpled fairways and all the good linksy things, but it was a much more, it was a it was a less epic adventure and a more pleasant walk. Yes, totally. I felt absolutely beaten up by Royal Portrush. And I didn't even play that great of golf at Royal Liverpool, but it just felt more doable to me. Uh, and it was, holy cow, it was firm and it was yellow and it was burnt out. And Royal Portrush, while still somewhat firm, was pretty green. They'd been gotten getting some rain uh, by the time we arrived in that country itself is just a little bit more green. There's a lot of rain that it gets. Liverpool had not been getting rain. This course was brown um, bordering on yellow and orange, which is a lovely color for a golf course. If you want to go play some firm conditions. It's funny. I was going back and uh, watching some of the 2006 open when tiger won there and I thought that when we played it, it was, you know, about as baked out as it could get. And then I was looking at that footage. It is unbelievable. It was fully just dormant brown grass when Tiger was just hitting iron all over the place there. Executing a game plan with such precision, with such patience that I don't think we've ever quite seen replicated. Um, mm-hmm. It was fun to watch after we'd played there because... Uh, that was not how we played the course. We hit driver pretty much everywhere, got into trouble in several different places, um, made a bunch of pars, but... Yeah, it's not a it's not hard to the extent that Portrush is. It's, it's, uh, you could argue it's quite a bit easier, I think. Um, and I think for that reason, yeah, when the pros play it next year, the 2023 Open, scores are going to be in the teens under par. Sport, sc- scores at that course if the weather's good, can maybe get to 20 under par. Tiger won at 18, I believe. Rory won at 17 under par. Um, You were one under par through six. I'll give you that. Uh, But it's not a course that is actually going to punch you in the face. But like, like you said, like the head pro said, if you're not precise, it's not like it's giving away birdies. Like you actually have to hit really good shots. And that's why it really feels like a ball strikers golf course where of course, if you, if Bryson goes there next year and mashes driver all over the place and has a bunch of wedges in and is super precise, that would be great and impressive in modern golf. But Bryson hasn't shown a level of preciseness to match his distance gains, um, which is why I would be much more expecting someone like Morikawa to play really well there, Spieth to play really well there. Um, I really, really enjoyed what it gave you the various ways it punished you it's it's bunkers are uh just perfectly placed which is what you can say about these links courses that hold up to the modern game you say it about st andrews you say it about muirfield i think you say the same thing about royal liverpool is like these bunkers are the test it's going to be somewhat windy it's going to be super baked out you're going to find bunkers that's how this ca- this place is hard for you. And I, I think, I don't know. That's why I, I, I thought of it as the course I would want to play every single day. Like I don't really want to play port rush three days in a row, <laughs> but I could find myself being happy playing Liverpool for an entire week. Yeah. Seven days straight. Port rush dealt more in full shots. It felt like, um, if you missed the fairway, either a, you were losing your ball or, you know, the thick gorse and really thick grass meant you were really just going to have to chop it out from there. Um, Liverpool dealt much more in just little, little margins, uh, little pieces of shots. So if you get out of position, say you won't be able to go to a a pin that's tucked over a bunker. Um, And there was often room to hit it off the tee where, yeah, your ball is going to be in play and the rough is a little bit wispier. Well, a lot wispier actually. So you're going to find it 
but positionally, it's not going to be the same deal. So yeah, it was a little bit more of a subtle test. Um, asking pretty simple questions that are right out there in front of you, but with tough answers. Uh, and then culturally, I think clearly different also going from, I mean, you're going from like Game of Thrones, like <laughs> like Lord of the Rings type vibe in Northern Ireland to, uh, I don't know, the crown might not quite be right. Bridgerton, that was one I watched mm, recently. Sure. You're just getting a little bit, it's a little bit more posh, even though, you know, this sure. is a, Liverpool well, is certainly a, a city with working class roots and and heart to it. This side of Liverpool, though, is is I think posh fits it's where the pretty I, people I think, live. I think there it is a surrounded by what at least looks to me to be a more upper class dwelling, uh, which is fine. That's where we're going to hopefully have to stay next year, next summer when we visit. Um, the little town to the south of Royal Liverpool is West Kirby. That has 12,000 people. So it's kind of a club that's shared by two tiny towns. And it's only like, again, altogether the size of St. Andrews. So the open visiting another really small place. If I can shout one place out, it's the place we went to at night after playing the course. It's called the Tasting Bar and Kitchen. I think easily the best food that we had on our trip and maybe the best food I had like all summer long. Would you agree with how great it was? Man. Yeah. I mean, it was really good. It's funny. We went there in part because it was the only place that would have us. This is a problem that we yeah. run into uh, at every open. Um, but then also when we're doing some of these travel adventures where you're playing golf until it's dark and getting drone footage until it's dark and then all of a sudden it's 8 30 9 p.m and who still has a kitchen that's open in these small towns that tend to shut down early the tasting bar and kitchen they hooked it up well they just they they specialize in changing the menu like every two or three months yeah, yeah it was like and a culinary expedition for us yeah we had gosh i think we had korean i believe we had uh some Mediterranean food, obviously some Americanized stuff, some Asian food. Uh, it was awesome. The last thing I have about Royal Liverpool is just uh, an appreciation for its own perspective. I think we talked to the head pro. We talked to basically what is uh, the equivalent of the club historian. We talked to some people on their marketing team. And as a club... They also had a like multiple decades departure from hosting opens. The Tiger Open in 06 was its first time hosting in multiple decades. And the Rory Open in 14 uh, built off of that. But basically, like this club, I would say, is teetering on being able to continue to challenge the modern player. Like I said, 20 under could win there next summer and no one's really talking about it in the same way we do when we talk about the old course. And so for them to remain relevant, they have changed things since Rory's open, which is not that long ago. I was in the business at that time when Rory won in 14. Um, they've changed the 15th hole. They literally flipped it around to make it a more like exacting test It'll become the 17th hole for Open Championship Week, but they have lengthened the 18th hole for Open Championship Week to be beyond 600 yards. Like I think when we talk about these major championship hosts, we always wonder what kind of changes they're allowed to make if the membership will be okay with it. It has to go through these checks and balances to make sure that that the modern game can continue to come back there and be tested. And I just through talking to the people on site, they really think that they have to change. They really need to accept change requests from the RNA and continue to to modernize, to stay up with the game and continue to host the open there. They really, 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 really want to continue hosting the open there. And so changing the 15th hole, changing, I think, what is the 16th hole for members and changing various other things, they seem so open to it where other clubs aren't and i really respect well that. what's funny about them is it seems it seems so unnatural to the club and that's why i think yeah they're consciously changing things because 
the status quo or the path of least resistance is to ensure that absolutely nothing gets changed. Like it is not a, you know, it's a, it's somewhat of a formal club. I mean, it's a established old school vibe there, but yeah, we played with, uh, Tamara who was awesome. One of the great off the green putters I've ever, uh, competed (laughs) with. And yeah, she was walking us through some of the changes in mindset and then in the actual course that have gone on. Um, one was the is the new 15th hole for members, which will be the 17th hole in, uh, in at the Open next year, which is a short par three that plays out towards the ocean. It's a brand new hole. And it's funny. It sounded like there's a little bit of resistance to it because it's almost like too showy. Like, why would yeah. why would we have a hole that goes towards the ocean that is so obviously scenic that is like a showpiece hole? It was almost a little bit ostentatious for the low key club that they really yeah. pride themselves on, but it's a beautiful hole. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to like get into the nitty gritty, but it goes to the Irish Sea, not the ocean. But it's okay. Well, okay, I appreciate you making the distinction. I don't want it's people all salty, from right? there to to dive in and be like, "Hey, Dylan, you were wrong about this." It's not the first time I've made that mistake. I'll say that. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I really enjoyed Royal Liverpool. If I could choose between the three clubs we went to, which one I would be a member at, that would be the one. Wow, cool. In part because I'm an Everton football club fan. Everton's kind of down the road. If you want to see what happened on that 15th hole, what should the YouTube title say? You won't believe it. You won't believe what Sean and Dylan did on number 15 at Royal (laughs) Liverpool. That's a good reminder, Dylan. Uh, you can find all of our videos from this trip on the golf.com YouTube channel. The Royal Port Rush one is up and active right now. The Royal Liverpool one, if you're listening to this podcast as soon as it comes into your feed, it'll be up today. And if you're catching up with this podcast, then it's already available. Wow. Please go check them out. Send them to your friends. If it's before uh, October 11th. It doesn't exist yet, but if it's October 11th or later, boom, go watch. (laughs) Yes, uh, that's where, I don't know, this audio experience should hopefully come to life a little bit more visually for you guys. Um, And yeah, Dylan hits just an absolutely incredible shot on the 15th at Royal Liverpool. I will leave it at Not the kind you think. All right, (laughs) Sean, before... Before we head to Scotland, I just want to shout out uh, our friends at Fairway Jockey because people ask us all the time about custom clubs and where to buy them. And for us, the answer is easy because only one place offers the lowest prices on custom built clubs, and that is fairwayjockey.com. Do your homework. No one beats their prices. You'll save up to 15% on custom clubs. And when you're talking about a bigger ticket item like this, that can mean some big savings. So build your custom set at fairwayjockey.com today. Take me to Scotland. How'd we get to our next stop and what was it? <laughs> oh gosh. So this, as the prideful logistics manager of our drop zone golfing duo, um, this was a short-sighted moment for me. Mm. We slept We slept uh, in Hoylake and we knew we had to get up to Royal Troon the next day. And we figured, you know what, Sean, you're driving. Uh, I kind of thought it was going to be about three and a half hour trip. It's for sure a full four hours and 45 minutes. It probably took us five hours to get up there. Um, but the drive between Liverpool and Troon slash Glasgow, um, it becomes very scenic once you get up closer to Scotland, but that is what they like to call England's Gulf Coast. Scotland has a Gulf Coast. It is on the eastern side of the country. Um, that's where the Scottish Open is played, uh, where St. Andrews and Fife exists, Muirfield, North Berwick. England's version is on the west side of the country. And um, basically starting at Royal Liverpool and extending northward, you have um, Royal Birkdale, that's another open host. Um, you've got Southport. Um, you have the town of Fleetwood. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood is actually from that area. 
you drive through all these places where the open is uh continues to continue occasionally go back to royal lytham and saint anne's is another one and eventually you get up into the hills of scotland and you get up to prestwick which is where the first open was held and you get up to royal troon which is i believe the second most opens behind the old course um and it feels a little bit different up there right like the temperature is probably 10 degrees cooler than it is down in the i guess the hotter parts of england um you can fly into glasgow which is kind of the main big city in the area it's probably 45 minutes to an hour away from troon um you can also take a day trip over there if you fly into edinburgh uh you can hit up troon you could probably get there within three hours Mm. um two and a half hours maybe if you're pedaling pretty hard um trump turnberry is just south of of troon am i making my point dylan that there's a lot of golf on the west there's coast a lot of, of golf that's what i'm hearing here there's actually <laughs> several smaller airports that you can also go to we did not we we arrived like paul revere by land route and uh i mean from my perspective if you can get yourself a driver like mr sean zock do so because I was just sitting shotgun, happy as a clam, and uh, cruising through this Scottish countryside. We got some a little bit of rain as we went, but then it cleared out nicely for our round, we thought, for a minute. Um, yeah, Troon the town was interesting. We arrived, I guess, what, a little bit before noon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we stopped for just an abysmal breakfast somewhere along the way. <laughs> the UK does not do breakfast well. I think I'm comfortable <laughs> saying that. Uh, if you like bacon, I've and, heard you say that like twelve different times. If you like bacon and bread, you've come to the right spot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I love I those things, but you know, that. after you've sort of done done it once, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of nutritional value happening there. Strange view on eggs, um, in my <laughs> mind, and just the obsession with sausage. Also, uh, I don't know. I sound like an elitist now. I, I love all things about the UK, but breakfast seems like they missed the mark. True in the town, though, the point is we wandered around town. It's gorgeous. It's definitely a uh, more industrial feel, like, you mm-hmm. know, logging, shipping, fishing, mm-hmm. um, yep. a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, stopped and watched some guys just moving around some logs with some giant machinery for a little while. That was pretty cool. Um, and then had... Uh, a pint at the yes at the harbor bar the other harbor bar um they they seemed a little skeptical of us for a minute there but eventually they let us in we had i think we had the first guinness of the day um Mm -hmm. and enjoyed our lunch and then headed over to troon yeah i think the town itself it has some of the maybe the best beaches in scotland i know people from glasgow go over there and hit up the beach scene but it, it certainly feels a bit sleepier in my experience than the other seaside towns we visited. Um, a bit sleepier for sure than Portrush, which has arcades and t-shirt shops everywhere you look. Uh, I, I Yeah, less of an obvious centralized vibe. downtown also, right? I mean, there's yes. a ton of golf in Troon. There's a ton of people there to play golf. Um, but there is... Yeah, there's less of that condensed main street feel, at least from what we yes. experienced. Well, and you said all the golf. Let's just start with the fact that Troon itself has 45 golf holes, right? Oof. There's 18, 18 at Royal Liverpool. There is technically 36 at Portrush, mm-hmm. I think, maybe 27. Um, 36. There's the Valley Lakes, 36. We were not, we did not play, but have heard is tremendously underrated. Okay, and so at Troon, there's 45. There is the actual Royal Troon course. There's the Portland course. Uh, Dundonald Links is nearby. Not Portland, Maine. <laughs> um, and just there's probably ten. I think I think it has like the most courses like per capita uh, in that part of the country. Let's go so. with that. No one's fact checking this stuff. So, <laughs> anyways, it's a great home base. Actually, if you were to say spend a month and you didn't want to play the same course twice, that would be a great place for you to go play a bunch of golf. Um, Take me to the first tee. 
Or if yeah. you want, take me first to the place overlooking the 18th green. Your choice. Let's start with the first tee. I think uh, it might be one of my favorite first tees in golf because, for one, I went to the 16 Open at Royal Troon and got to see Henrik Stenson and Phil Mickelson do really unthinkable things on the golf course, um, pull away from the field and have a pretty epic duel. And in the process of all of that, I stood in the first tee grandstand looking out from afar while Henrik Stenson accepted the Claret Jug and was giving his acceptance speech. And (laughs) happening beneath me on the first tee was Webb Simpson, his caddy, Joe Scavrin, uh, I believe now Tom Kim's caddy, formerly Ricky Fowler's caddy. A bunch of players went out and just said, hey, screw it. We're going to do an emergency nine. We're going to go out and just play the front nine or maybe play a little bit of a loop here after the open, while the open is uh, finishing. And I just think it's it's such a great first tee for that memory. But also, you are right on the beach. Like there, if you... If you built a bridge from the first tee to the beach, you could probably do it in a day because it's not very long. You're probably all of 30 feet from the sand and you you can not only hear the waves crashing, but you see the waves crashing. And it just is quite the setting that eventually is going to fade as you get further into the golf course. But there's just a lot of Lynxland golf. You're actually quite a bit removed from the water. Like, you know, it exists, you know, you're kind of on, you're close to the beach, but you don't really feel it right there. You certainly feel it on that first tee. My expectations were probably the lowest of Royal Troon. Um, why? Well, I know it has the, the legacy of that Stenson Phil showdown. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, it does not have the same, yeah, I don't know. It does have that, but it doesn't have quite the same iconography that I think those Tiger and Rory wins have. Yeah. Uh, and I went to Portrush, so I'm probably especially partial to that one, but it, it's also a particularly epic setting. But I think Royal Troon gets, it's sort of an also ran in that discussion of open rota courses. And I think sometimes yeah. people are dismissive of its place in that rota. Uh, so, I mean, I guess life's all about expectations, but I thought it was plenty hard, uh, for one thing. And I also thought it had some, it had a really cool feel to it. I mean, it's, it's more of that traditional out and back setting. So the front nine goes out, the back nine comes back towards the, uh, clubhouse. Typically that means you get one nine going downwind and one nine going into the wind. We unfortunately played basically both nines into the wind and that's punishing. That's a punishing way to play golf. This was the kind of day that, unfortunately for us, made our sponsor, FootJoy, very happy. Yeah. Because they said, hey, guys, we're going to give you all this gear. We're going to send you to the Lynx land. And frankly, we want it to rain on you guys. We want our gear to get tested. We want you guys to, to trust us, knowing that we're going to take care of you. And if you get what you know, Lynx golf often delivers, which is crappy conditions. Hopefully we're up to the test and we got that. It started sprinkling. We're going into the wind for the first nine holes, just kind of getting pummeled by that length, really believing that if we just kind of like stay the course, we'll be fine. Um, eventually it started absolutely downpouring and testing out all of our rain gear, um, testing out our rain gloves um, testing out our camera gear, <laughs> testing out Tiffany, our videographer's patience. Um, and we got a little bit of a moment in the middle where it kind of got nice again. And then we got rained on a second time. And then eventually it got nice again towards the end. And it was like one of the best sunsets I've ever seen. And that's kind of how life is on the West side of Scotland. I think I described it as that car wash feeling of you get <laughs> absolutely drenched, like soaked with rain soaked with water and then the wind hits and the sun comes out and so we went from being well we didn't really get soaked to the bone because luckily we had our good old foot joy gear actually did really 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 work (laughs) but then also you know once the wind hits and then the sun hits like we were totally dry by the time we finished uh we were tired we were beaten but you know overall 
all things considered, pretty happy. The postage stamp is probably one of the 10 most famous holes in the world of golf. Is that fair? 20 maybe? <laughs> it's yeah. one of the most famous holes. It'd be fun to actually the- run through. We'll do that on our on our travel podcast once this one launches <laughs> it for us. Um, but it's the eighth hole. It is the smallest hole. It is like a lot of short par threes with uh, notoriety. It is discussed as the shortest par five in the world because it's 120. That's a classic golf joke right there, isn't it? <laughs> 120 yards, 115 yeah. yards. Um, and it's so cute and it can be so hard. You hit a little flip gap wedge, I believe, probably to 20 feet. Uh, you know. How about you, Sean? I did not. I kind of smothered it, hit a little kind of drawing hook, found myself all of 15, 12 yards from the hole in just a horrendous spot. And that's why like, this is a perfectly cute little hard major championship golf hole uh, is because I was going downhill from there and I tried getting too cute and I hit it into the sand and then I bladed it out of that sand into the next bunker. And then I didn't get out of that bunker and I had to get back up and I went back to where I started, got up onto the green, two putted for maybe an eight on the eighth hole. (laughs) And, um, I just, in that moment, I really thought like there's a marketing opportunity for people. When you go to a restaurant and they've got this like mega burger with jalapenos and it's got a crazy name and you get a t-shirt if you can finish it, that's what the postage stamp could be. Uh, If you really screw up, you get a free t-shirt that says, I got stamped at the postage stamp. Free idea. A little date class A in my opinion for the the classy folks at Royal Troon, but I see where your head's at. Um, My favorite hole was 18 just for extremely situational reasons. We were playing into an epic sunset after uh, just getting the full car wash treatment. Our trip was winding down. This was the last hole of our trip. The Marine Hotel, Marine Troon, Mm -hmm. is off the right side there, and that's where we were staying actually that night. Great accommodations. And then the clubhouse sits right behind the 18th green. And when I say right behind, I mean right behind. I mean, you could bank <laughs> your approach shot off the window. And as long as it didn't go into the clubhouse, you would have yeah, a pretty good chance just, good to, spot. just to bank it pretty close to the pin. Um, so vibes were really, really had turned around at that point and were pretty mm-hmm. high coming home. Uh, despite still being into the wind. Despite still being into the wind. Uh, I have never wanted, uh, I've never wanted more to just stay at a golf course after being done with 18 holes than yeah. I did that day. We just hung um, around. We chatted on the 18th green for like 20 minutes. We just didn't I think really want to leave. Yeah. That's one of the, the beautiful aspects of, I think of some of these, these clubs in Scotland, in the UK, especially the private ones, <laughs> like they're along the coast. You're getting a nice breeze. The sun's going down. And like that's just something that everyone could enjoy, whether you're a golfer or not. And um, you don't want to leave. And we didn't have anyone playing behind us because no one else braved the elements. And so we were basically the last people on the golf course. There might have been one twosome behind us, like 20 minutes behind. And we just stood there on the green and chatted and like shook hands a couple different times <laughs> with, uh, with our third, our playing partner. And the sun set uh, in like a fantastically epic way. And I didn't want to leave. I'm sure you, I didn't have to leave. I was going back to Scotland or to St. Andrews to play a bunch of golf, but I'm sure in that moment you didn't want to go home. Yeah. I mean, you definitely get, it's like you get nostalgic for it before it's even in the past. That's kind of the, the feeling of being over there um, and playing golf there. There's a depth to the golf that, is hard to replicate and i'm a mm-hmm. big time fan of a lot of american golf but um yeah that's just one thing you can't match is the way that people care about these places and the way they are important to the culture without being you know snobbish or 
exclusive in the same way that I think some American country clubs can feel. So golf is very special um, over there. I felt very lucky to get a big bite of that over three days. Mm-hmm. Totally. What did we learn? Or three we months. Tell people? <laughs> what did we learn? Um, we learned that you really better measure out your distances between these places. Mm. And that might go yeah. without saying, but really measuring out like what, like we kind of ran into a little bit of traffic in Liverpool, getting from Hoy Lake to Troon. So that extended our trip. Um, make sure you just play 18 holes a day. Ooh. Right. Yeah. You're going to be walking. You're very, very likely going to be walking when you're playing these, these courses. And in America, you can go play on a golf trip and you're going to be in a cart and you're not going to be nearly as tired. But at the end of the day, at the end of 18 holes of carrying or using a push cart, you're going to be tired. So don't try to play 27. Don't try to play 36. It's not worth it. I'd give um, you permission, though, to check out. Like sometimes if you play in the morning, there's a chance for a little afternoon. A lot of these sure. a lot of these towns have little bonus courses, par three courses, or you know maybe the course itself has another little extra nine. Yep. Like there are ways to do add-ons that are not overly taxing. But yeah, I would add to that also probably don't do the trip the way we did it. Like this is not, this was epic for what we were doing and what we were looking for. Um, I think you're going to have a better time if you have a home base and you stay there for a few nights, you get settled into a a nice Airbnb Mm -hmm. or something like that. And some people really swear by these, uh, these drivers. If you have a group of, you know, eight or 12 people, um, get someone to take you around, but having a home base and then going from there each day and then driving back, that's definitely a, a strong move. Yeah. Last thing, if you can play, play before 3 PM. Ooh. Why the is re- that? Reason like, of course you play at three, play at two thirty. the sun's going down. It creates that scene that we raved about with Royal Troon. But if you play before 3 p.m., you're not running into the 8 p.m. Holy cow, where are we going to get dinner yeah, phase? Fair. You you tee off at 1.30, you're going to be done by 6, and you're going to have a chance to go shower, have a break, get a beer before dinner, and plan out your dinner reservations. Now, this is all like non-golf stuff, but it's all contributes to having a good trip or a great trip because um, I certainly and you as well have uh, eaten really crappy food at 10.30 p.m. Yeah. and called it dinner because there was nowhere That's else crucial. to serve you. It's, <laughs> it's really just, you know, have a plan. Like if you want that sunset golf experience, I am all for that. Like if you want to finish, the clubhouse is closed. A lot of town is already shut down. You can find a pint, but maybe not food. You got to just be ready for that. Um, and that's pretty cool. But yeah, one of the things about these places being so far north this it's just light it stays light you can play golf longer mm-hmm. than you can have dinner um and so you should be aware of that reality um, royal portrush and troon are they're basically the same latitude as like juneau alaska yeah which is further really, north than you would think yeah it's a bit mind-bending really um for the americans like us but um just proof that it will stay late or stay light late forever um find last bit oh go ahead i'll sneak in one more bit of advice go Go ahead find a shot you can hit straight off the tee because (laughs) distance is not necessarily the biggest requirement over there and i know that that you know the modern game there's a lot of talk about speed distance etc i get obsessed with it myself if you can hit a ball that is on a medium to low flight and you can hit Mm -hmm. it straight even if it goes 200 yards, 220 yards, that will be very useful to you. Yeah, our boy Alan Smith, he was our third at Royal Troon. He gave us a bit of a ball striking lesson. He wasn't literally telling us how to do it, but he was just showing, hey man, this is how you play Lynx golf. This is how you play shots into the wind. You guys are a bunch of American phonies. Um, You may want to learn that. Uh, My last bit of advice for however many people are still listening to this podcast, go check out these videos on YouTube. Golf.com's YouTube. You can find it. Dylan and I will tweet it out as well. 
Um, It'll be in the show description of this podcast, better yet. It will also be in the description. They're about 20 minutes apiece, so good watching and um, just a lot of fun. You can watch them back-to-back, really kind of act as if you were tagging along for uh, the entirety of our trip um, and just appreciating that we put a lot of a lot of uh, red-eye like lack of energy swings out there and uh had a lot of fun doing it beat so we got beat to shit sean <laughs> but thank you yes. for listening thanks for joining hit us up with questions we love you guys see you next week